Hi cheesy people, before we get started I'd like to thank our two sponsors. Scrumptious Reads provides us with a place to record, but it's also the best place to drop large amounts of the folding stuff on interesting cookbooks, books talking about food, drinking coffee, drinking wine, drinking spirits, or just eating generally. They also have lots of interesting courses all the time, so check out their website for more details. Fatgrape.com.au is an online wine store selling interesting wines you will not find at your local chain bottle shop. We talk about a different wine every week, but don't trust my judgment. Hit Stacy up at fatgrape.com.au and ask for the best wine for you. Finally, you can support the show by going to bezopods.thetshirtmill.com.au and buy a cheesy shirt. Enjoy the pod. We, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass devil, you know it. We're going to be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in you. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. Look at you. Are you are you in a are you in a chef shirt and an apron there? Yeah, I am. <laughs> oh, very professional. Really, I've got these shoes, which I'm kind of thinking. Oh, these are your waterproof shoes with are red. You clogs. Um, was it Crocs? They're waterproof. They've got like this um, wetsuit kind of sock on the top. Wow. They're really cool. You're excited about waterproof shoes. No, it's so much here. It's so fucking flooded. Yeah. And last night, last night, so I'm working in this little pub in town, and last night power went off, and it was my first night, awesome. and a busload of five people rock up. The restaurant's packed, and everything goes up. Life of a chef. So what did you do? You don't have any gas, I'm guessing. Well, we sent most of them away, but we, the twenty, the group of twenty-five, we just cooked them steak and chips. Oh wow! <laughs> it would have been the best chips in the world, I bet. Yeah, that was good. Good. That's like um, when my grandmother came. We were travelling around Australia, and my grandmother came. Must have been her seventieth birthday. And we went up one of the gorges in the Northern Territory and we came, yeah. came back and we had plans for this special roast dinner and, you know, it's going to be this big party for her 70th birthday. And we parked in one of those like U-shaped parking bays with coppice logs all around the, the sides. And the third car parked across the back, locked their keys in. Who started it? Sal. Sal's here. Yeah. So, four, four hours later. Hey! <laughs> You're back. She can't see us. Really? All right. It's strange watching you talk. It's like talking to a blind person. <laughs> <laughs> You're just looking all over the place. You're not looking at it. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, can you see me? Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Sorry. 
We got you. All right, shall we? Sh- shall we get the show on the road while we've got Sal? I don't yeah, know. I'll, about ten minutes. I'm gonna go and do service. <laughs> oh shit! I thought I'm saying this to you, Ben. Are you, st- are you still? Are you still at the Providence? Hey. Are you still at the Providence? No, I'm not at the Providence at the moment. Okay. I only have to eat breakfast and stuff. I, I don't want to be a full time chef. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Who wants to be a full time chef? You're all mental. Yeah, certified. I'm just kind of, I'm just prostituting my way up and down the street, really. <laughs> well, I was going to say we'll just do that as the intro, but do you want, do you want everyone to know that you're prostit- prostituting yourself all over Beachwood? <laughs> well, I just mean I'm shifting up and down the street. I mean, you know. Well, you might get some, might get some more offers, so. Moroccan? Hey, I saw you were doing it in Melbourne. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's it. I just finished doing all the recipes for that. It took me like a day and a half. <laughs> God. I don't do recipes normally, so I kind of did my head in sitting in front of the kitchen. <laughs> oh, I know. What do you mean you don't do recipes? How do you tell all the other chefs what to cook? Well, because you, you just do it all by feel and oh, yeah. teach new people when they come in how you do it. Because you've got to use his stuff, using my Vita stuff. Well, if you're going, yeah, so they've got to do the ordering and everything. I just want to make sure exact so they're not wasting money and having extra mise en place and things like that. So, and they're, they're, I think there's, stick, there's sticklers for that. He's been hounding me for like a month for the recipes. Ah. Where's um, Frank, though? Is he... Sorry, Jamie, just doing a, just doing a quick podcast. <laughs> yeah, as you do. Fuck, I wish I could show you what these people look like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's Jamie. Hi, Jamie. <laughs> Noah. <laughs> oh, I wish we were screencasting this bit. I could put yes. that on the front of the po- on the front of the podcast. Yeah. You'll have half beef, half of beach worth of the after. So, what are you doing? You do recipes and then send it down to them to practice on, and then no, he gets all the ordering done. Oh, okay. And pulls all that together. Yeah, right. And then um, we do it from there. But I think the premise is that they can help. So when they came here and did it up here, we I gave them a chef, one chef. So it was Frankie's head chef and one of my chefs prepped the whole menu. Yeah. I didn't get it right. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean you, uh, like their chefs will do all the prep work? You'll send down and say, I want X amount of beans, cut this No, no, well, I think or... Alex, well, I'm taking one of my chefs down. We're going to have to prep. We'll be down for two days before it starts. So we'll have to prep the whole thing. Yeah, right. How many people for? 150. Ah. Oh, you'll be right. You'll be right. Should, should be apples. We'll Sal, Sal will be serving <laughs> that more than that tonight at the pub. <laughs> how, how many schnitties are you going to cook tonight, Sal? No, nah, it's, not, it's not a snitty pub. Oh, really? It's a posh pub. Oh, wow. I'm at the posh pub. I'm away from the snitty pub. I was at the snitty pub, left the snitty pub. Now I'm at the posh pub. So what's the, what's the posh pub's... Uh, Menu of choice. Oh, fuck, really? Do I need to tell you? She does like, we just do duck and shit, trout, lots of trout. <laughs> they oh, have okay. trout around here. Lots of trout, lots of steak. We've got actually, oh, Ben, I'm going to come and show you something. Come, come. You'll love this. I'm coming, show me. <laughs> this, this is great podcasting. This Sal walks through the pub with a mic. They've got this Josper. Have you heard of a Josper? Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I've that. just been having – yeah, did you see it? Yeah, I've just great. been practising on the Josper. Yeah, is, last what? night we had a truck full of people rock up and we cooked like 30 steaks all at once. Well Amazing. 
So what's Amazing. A, what's a Josper? Oh, it's this little coal freaking thing that you can smoke and it goes up to 500 degrees. And Holy shit. It's amazing. Ah, ah. It's like a Spanish-made Sorry, I've got a runny nose. Oh, we didn't. I noticed. Pretty what? <laughs> hey, um, tell me, where's Frank? What's he doing? Is he in Spain? Did he? What? what why, why is he on holiday all the time? No, he goes and does the, well, similar to you, he goes and does these tours where he goes and hosts people around Spain and does a guided tour through there. Oh, he's doing that. Yeah. Ah. So he's telling me he does a fair bit of that now. Yeah, well, he just seems to be swanning around all the goddamn time. No, oh, yeah. he just did a pop-up in Auckland as well, from what he told me last time. Did he? Yeah. Well, hey, oh, are we on live or not? Yeah, yeah. Are we, we on re- yet? Yeah, oh, okay. Recording. Don't worry. I can't tell you that then. I'll tell you later. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is back to old school cheesy podcasts. <laughs> DM me on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> you have to send us all the, all the juicy bits afterwards. Yeah. Okay, yeah, pause it for a minute, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can do a timestamp and edit it out. Yeah, there we go. He's get, he promises he'll edit it out, Sal. So go. <laughs> no, no, no. It's nothing. It's nothing interesting. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll tell you later. <laughs> does it, does it Sounds really me. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. yeah, what else is happening? Nothing, that's it. Just head down oh, now. Oh, bullshit. That's not it. Yeah, that's of course it. it's not it. Well, I'm doing the outro up here now as well, so let's talk about that, Oh, yeah. What ha- what's happened? How are your reviews going now? They changed? Yeah, well, John has <laughs> they're giving it a, yet, they're giving it a flogging, weren't they? Yeah, they smashed it. Absolutely smashed it. How many, how many reviewers have you really got to worry about in Brisbane? Is it just oh, the career? I don't really care anyway. It's just do what you do. Like, yeah. I'm more worried about the front of house owner than the food. Yeah. The food should be all right, but we've had more we've worried had about the locals have been through. The locals like it. Yeah, the locals love it. So who, 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 you know, who, who, who cares about a few a, bloggers? A national magazine. Yeah. Well, <laughs> a national magazine and a national newspaper. Who cares? I'm sure John will, John will be back in at some stage. Fiona did it and she likes it, so we got that out of the way. Yeah. But um, it, it, it all just comes down to John, really, and I'll be really intrigued. To see how that goes down. Did Did you read the um, the profile of the New York Times food critic? No. They just did a big big profile on him and how much a good or a bad review from him can make a difference to a restaurant. Yeah, right. Like basically, uh, like even. Oh, was that the fourth wall? Was that something about the fourth wall? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting, wasn't mm. it? So who's the guy that does the? Um, he does like Asian fusion sort of stuff. I'm probably getting it wrong, but he's big. He's done like cheap dumpling places. And, oh, yeah. Chang, David Chang. Yeah, and he had yeah, that's in my hands. He had a new place, and this guy came in to do a review, and it wasn't real favourable. And he said, I think they lost a third of their business. Wow. Within a week, and like he's a big celebrity chef, has or something restaurants. Yeah, that's how much. One review from a New York newspaper. Like oh, I'll try one. But their rules are different there because they can say whatever they like. So. I don't know if it's like that here. What are you showing us now, Sal? Nothing. <laughs> You're showing us more wildlife, like a wildlife. <laughs> nah, just for you to chat. Honestly, I live in Hippieville. I do. Hippieville? Are you, are you still liking it down there? Are you liking it, Sal? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I actually love it. Yeah, it's really good. I love it. You don't miss the Vegas? No, nah, not really. <laughs> Although at the moment I'm missing the heat. 
because yeah. it's so cold. But I love all the seasons. I love the season and it's a really cool area and, you know, the town's a little bit small for me, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I might outgrow the town at some point, yeah. but not yet. It, when you know everyone by name, is that when you well, can outgrow the town? I almost do. <laughs> <laughs> You know them or they know you, Sal? Yeah, I was going to say, oh, there goes that Sally. Uh, there goes that Sal who works at the pub. That's what I mean. It's too small. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, but I still go to Melbourne every week. So I'm, I I'll, may see you, Ben. I'm going to come down and do some foodie stuff at that thing. There's yeah, a few good things on. I only, looked, I only looked at it today and then I went, what's that, buddy? What's Ben doing there staring at me? What are you doing? Well, we're going to – we're going to stay down. We'll be down from Sunday. The dinner's on Tuesday. We're there from Sunday until Wednesday night. So we have a few of Woo! Yeah, let me know. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to make well, I do, I go down. I go down there every week because I still do training for that oven company. Remember the how I used to work for that oven company? Yeah. Yes. I still do that. Is that once a week? Uh, it's once a fortnight moment. Right. You might not get any more work after this, so... <laughs> <laughs> you might, does Beachworth have a local newspaper? <laughs> yes, and I was on the front page last week. I was going to say, I can, I can just see the, I can just see the headlines now. Local chef slags off, slags off town in food podcast. No, I was on the front page last week with Michael because oh, yeah. we're doing these, we're doing these cooking classes. Yeah, right. Oh fuck, it's hilarious. Um. How I might you, have to go. I can see people wandering right. around. What is the time? I can't. Yeah, d- daylight savings, great. You do need daylight savings. Yeah. You do need it. I don't know if we're ever going to get it, though. Nah, you'll never get it. You'll never get it. I don't know if we will either. That's more me. Nah. I start early and finish early. Anyway, I've got to go. Our service starts at 6. I've got to go and set up my thing because I don't know what I'm doing because I've never worked here before. Tonight's my first night. Well, thank so you. I've got to go and... Have a look at my picture of setup. Anyway, good to chat, kids. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Bye for now. Part two of Cheesy Podcast this week with Ben. How's it going, Beeson? Good, mate. Thank you for the uh, charcuterie last week. That went down very nicely. It would have. I'd tried the wines the day after that you were there and they were delicious. Yeah. They were actually really good. I don't. Uh, I'm not a big rosé fan, but I like that one. That was very nice. Mm. No, I think they were all good. good. I really enjoyed his whites, to be honest. The pickled um, veggies, Mm. the cauliflower, is that hard to do? No. That wasn't cauliflower. Wasn't? No. Garlic? No, yeah, garlic. Garlic. Wasn't the little wasn't the little cauliflower? No, so it was like cauliflower, but you you would have noticed that it was like stringy. And it didn't really look like conventional cauliflower. To be honest, I was drinking wine. I wasn't paying too close yeah. attention. I thought it had like crunch like cauliflower. Yeah, it did. And it was, it's a new thing on the market. So it's called uh, Fiorini. No, Fiorino. Fiorina. And it's cauliflower crossed with broccoli. Oh, wow. So it looks like cauliflower, but has the texture of broccoli and the flavour of cauliflower. Yeah. Well, I thought it, yeah, I thought it tasted like cauliflower. Yeah. But it's like oh. soft and juicy, like broccolini. Yeah. Yeah. But it was um, to have that with the small goods to cut the fat. Yeah, I've never been a massive pickle 
anything fan, but I would definitely be doing pickled garlic and pickled whatever to go with you. Yeah, because the meats are pretty full on as well, and when you're eating a lot of them, like yeah. it can be, you know, there's only so much ham and salami you can eat before you, you've like got hypertension. Yeah, I was going to so. say I've done <laughs> I've done ham awards and I've had forty tasted forty two. I think is the most I've ever done forty two separate bits of ham. Yeah, that's a lot. And then that's after eating twenty odd pieces of bacon as well. Mm. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with bacon. I can eat bacon until the cows come home. Yeah, except. It's got sweetness. Not all good bacon. That's the problem. If it was all awesome bacon, it'd be great, but it's not. Well, I can't eat stuff like that anymore anyway. Doctor's orders. Really? Yeah, I've been told my blood pressure's too high, so... So what, more balanced diet? I've got to change my diet, yeah. How does that go, being a chef? I don't know. It's like day three, I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you can't do more exercise or anything? It's just yeah, diet? Yeah, no, I've got to do that, but I've, just, I've got to try and get everything down now. So, yeah. I mean, my dad, heart disease runs in the family, so. And habits are habits, and you've got to form them as yeah, soon as you can. years in the kitchen, and I've kind of done whatever I want, and I've always had a pretty good metabolism. Yeah. But it seems that it's all starting to come to a head now. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's what my wife works in cancer research, and uh, I got a bit. I've not, my weight's never really fluctuated, but I started getting like fat like looking fat around my face and stuff like that. And yeah. you can tell that I, I was more fat than muscle. Right. And the research that she's seen is it's the fat around the organs. Like, so you, it's not even, you might look re- reasonably fit, but if you've got fat around your organs, that's where you get in trouble. And yeah. obviously if you look fat, you've probably got fat around your organs. So she's like, I don't want you fucking leaving me when you're 60. <laughs> you know, change your diet, I'll get out and exercise. So yeah, I exercise. That's where it's at. I don't know how much time I have to exercise during the week. Mm. You know what, actually, that's a cop-out, and I think I'm just going to have to make time. Well, that's why I run, because you can run, like, anytime, anywhere. You just have a little kit in the car, and you just go for a run. Even if you do 3K, you do 16, 17 minutes. So literally, whenever you go, right, I've got a bit of time now. Uh, So, yeah, picking the kids up from daycare, as long as I'm not really late, I'll always do a little 3K run. Yeah. So, and I've got a nice, like, I know where to go that's 3K. So, you know, it's sort of set and it's it's good habit for me because I rock up, you know, park the car there, go for my run, pick the kid. Like, I've got my little habit forming things down. So, yeah. I ran 25 times last month. Yeah, right. Mm. Well done. Good you. Go you. And then I got sick because <laughs> I ran in the rain, <laughs> which is a bit stupid. Oh, rookie era. Is that a rookie era? Should you have known better? Um, What's wrong running in the rain? Why can't you do that? Oh, because I probably didn't, like I jumped in the car and didn't probably get warm quick enough and mm. yeah, not so much running in the rain, it's what you do afterwards. So, yeah. hey, I wanted to ask you, because yeah. I was thinking about your excellent dinner that you, that we had at your place. Yeah. How do you go about, <laughs> like what's the difference between just cooking a meal that you're just cooking at home to designing a meal for all. Like if you were cooking duck breast at home, would you do the same sort of thing that you did for the restaurant? Like with no. the garnishes and the little touches and stuff like that? Never. No? It'd be a lot simpler? Yeah. So what's the difference between stuff that's chefy and restauranty and stuff that actually enhances the meal 
is there. I guess, like, because I, I thought all the little things, especially like um, the abalone, like all the little things that were the abalone really sort of took it beyond just being food, made it into a real experience. I would say, and probably the best way to say this is that what we do in the restaurant, so what I do in the restaurant and what my guys do and the rest of it with, with food is when we come to work, I mean, when, you cook, when we cook at home, we cook to sustain ourselves, yeah. first and foremost. Like, yeah, it's got to taste good, but really you're cooking it because you're hungry and because you need to eat and that's, that's why we cook. Well, at least, look, I can only speak for myself. And I cook all day at work as well. But it's it's when I come in, it, it's more the craft of it and the art. So when we look at a dish that we're doing, so say, for example, there's always a starting reference, you know, like we want to do something with duck. Yeah. No, well, that was my next question is where do you, do you sort of come in, how often do you come in with you've got something, like something's in season or you've been, you know, uh, a supplier's come to you and said, oh, hey, do you want to use this? Do you start with the basic and move out or do you sometimes come in with an idea sort of fully formed and then experiment around that idea? I can be both. It depends on what it is. Usually I try to base it around a main component of a dish that I want to use and it may not be a protein. It could very well be uh, like it could be a vegetable or a sauce or a puree. It could, it could be anything. So yeah. it could be a spice or it could be... Uh, like those, um, uh, the pistachio husks you were yeah. showing me that day. So it could be that. So we start to, you start to fool around with it and you start to work out ways that you can extract the best flavour possible from that. And then you start to work out the things that you can put it with that, are compl- that will complement and elevate. And then I try to think of textures. So how's it going to feel on your palate? Yeah. Is it going to need... Uh, like a luxurious feeling from adding a puree to it or a fluid gel so it coats the mouth and, and kind of helps translate the flavours and, and carry them across your palate or does it need texture, does it need some crunch into it, is it too soft, is, there, is it too two dimensional so you're always looking for the third dimension and always looking for a way to make it more exciting but yep. also to all, so all the ingredients I mean I guess the ultimate goal is to make sure that all the ingredients harmonise but they harmonise in a way that they they all have their own identity. Yeah. But they all work together. We um <laughs> we went to a pub in Harvey Bay uh, for dinner. Left the kids with the the grandparents and went and had a, a meal. And we got some pork belly with coleslaw. And that exact opposite thing happened. Where you know if you got pork belly and it's nicely cooked and it's soft and gelatinous and quite fatty and rich you know you want your coleslaw to be really crunchy and bitey and yeah. sort of cutting through the fat and they covered this coleslaw with this creamy fucking dressing so the the coleslaw was then sort of soft and creamy and fatty and it was just way too much it's just over the top it's rich with rich yeah fatty and, fatty and all the textures were exactly the same yes yeah, so, and that's the thing and that's what you want to try and avoid but Look, I mean, the thing that no, that people don't see when they sit in a restaurant is the most dishes by the time it gets to the table, it, it, there's been five or six versions of it. Yeah. Before you feel that it's right, and it's about constantly looking at it and addressing it and saying, "How can we make it better?" But it's they're constantly evolving. It's it's always an evolution, and then seasonality comes into it, and how long can you carry it? And there's look at the the dinner that you had. A lot of the dishes that are on 
I, I think the menu that we're running at the moment at Gerard's is probably one of the best ones we've ever had. I think it's the most cohesive. I think the dishes that are on are all pretty close to being perfect dishes. So is then... Okay, so then my next question was, when do you change stuff just because you're bored or the staff are bored making it? Yeah, like it? now. Now? Like we're doing that now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because, because I feel chefing sort of like party inspiration yeah then um you need to be able to sort of keep that inspired feeling if you're just doing again and again don't you lose that a bit yeah but you also can't you also can't lose sight of the customer and the customer's needs yeah so just because i'm say i launched menu next week just because i'm sick of that menu in a month it doesn't mean (laughs) you got to change it or that it has to change like and you've got to kind of remember that customers do repeat sometimes when they come in so oh, say you came in man, I'd, you, you would I'd have repeat only, if I could yeah totally but you, you would have only been able to eat a certain fraction of the menu and yeah. then inevitably would have been dishes that you would have wanted to try and also dishes that you would want to come back for so if you came back and those dishes weren't there that you identified and you had to start fresh again it would be slightly disappointing to you so but you've also there are people that eat in a restaurant more than once a fortnight and and they want to see change they would want to see change yeah and do you do like a hard cut or do you go i think that duck's been there for a bit long well do, let's do something yeah, well, it else might be, it might be the, the ingredients that we use in that dish aren't at their best anymore so yeah, that's a, that's a really easily. good excuse just to change it out yeah and so we'll change dishes like that on the fly all the time so yeah. There are dishes that one or two change here and there, but there's dishes that I just don't, I think they're so perfect that I never would want to change them. Like, I don't know if you had the southern squid when you were in. Yeah, but yep. I wouldn't want to change that dish. Yeah, I right. It. I think it's pretty close to being a perfect dish. Dish, yeah, right. I think it's unique. It's not, I know it's completely, we haven't taken any elements from anybody else's food or any else's dishes. Yeah. Like, it's a 100% unique dish. I think it works really well, and I think it symbolises what we do. And there's one thing that dish does as well that, that I think is different to the rest of the dishes we do at Gerard's is it's actually quite subtle in its delivery when a lot of the food that we do in there is a sledgehammer. Pretty bold. Gutsy, bold, umami rich, sharp, salty. Mm. You know, that's like probably why I really like Yeah, I know, right? Like, <laughs> and that's the kind of food that I kind of like to eat. Tea, like, my yeah. wife's always on me because I always try to amp up the flavour to like level 10 on everything that I do when I'm at home and she just wants to eat <laughs> simple fresh. Yeah, I do like my mashed potato though. That's yeah. pretty... That's but pretty even good. that, I'll like take it to another level. Like I'll put an equal part of butter in it. And I'm, I meant to tell Sal... Um, I reckon I'm this close to buying a ricer. Sean's completely changed the way I do mashed potato. Really? Yeah. We, I missed I, this when you had this potato off. I love that method. I should have come into it. I love his method. I reckon it makes way better mash. Sean's. Yeah. How does he do it? All he did was just boil the potatoes and then sort of break them up with a fork and then pass them through a sieve and then add the butter, lots and lots of butter, but like sort of fold it over and keep it on a low heat and keep sort of working the butter into it slowly and it's sort of got that real smoothness to it see I reckon the best way to do it personally okay you're going to change my mind again let's go no see because it's basically what Sean does but uh, I well there's reasons I believe it's better so if you're not worried about your health that mm. is if you just want not with, not with like mash the, mash is the emperor's mash mash is the untouchable <laughs> like you do whatever you like the, the regal mashed potato I can, I can have salad and other stuff any other time but you don't yeah. mess with mashed potato so instead, instead of boiling your potatoes yeah roast your potatoes in their skins okay 
So, so like almost like you do knocking. Yeah, so the reason why is because when you boil your potatoes, you get water that comes into it. So you get I liquid. can see where you're going here. Does so that so you can you, add more butter? So you can add more butter. So <laughs> if you roast them, you're minimising the water, the liquid intake, so you can put more butter into that and it'll take more butter. Yeah. And the way that we used to do it, um, the way yeah. I've, I've been shown, we're doing probably, so you, you add butter, basically, always pass it through a fine sieve. Yeah. Always. And you can do it in the skin, so you cut them in half, you just push the sin through if you're a drum sieve or something like that. You just push oh, okay. it through. And then fry your skins off and eat that as a snack if you want, if you're really into the unhealthiness of it all. And then um, push it through and then add butter, beating it in on the heat until it splits. Until you've got so much butter in there that the potato actually can't hold the butter anymore. And then what do you And it separates. Then on the heat, you hit it with a bit of milk. Yeah. Like I'm talking a quarter of a cup at most. A little bit of milk and you keep beating it and the milk will just seize it again and add enough liquid that the butter will hold and it'll come together. So that's wow. that's the that's the, the um and pom- seasoning. seasoning always, yeah. I never used to season my mash, I used to just sort of season it at the end mm. so that everyone else got no salt. Yeah. But I, th- I think a little bit of salt and pepper in it makes a pretty big difference. Totally, 100%. White pepper. Yeah, and then, yeah. Anyway, so when you know you got it right, and you shake it in the pan, it should just roll around in there like this semi-fluid ball and not stick to anything. Yeah, that's right. It, it sort of comes off the uh, the, the bottom. It's not yeah, sticking to the side at all. And then if you quenell it with a spoon and you put it to so get a scoop, and you try to get it as, like a hot spoon or something. You try to get it as round as possible, and you put it onto a plate. It should hold its shape for like two seconds, and then slide start to yeah, yeah, right. I've I've always That's when you know you know. Always seen uh, I don't know where I read a risotto recipe that said it should it should move across your plate, but if you can see it it's it's too loose. Yeah. So you should be able to like measure it and it is actually slowly expanding across your plate, but if you can see it move it's too yeah. it's too loose. Interesting. So is another one. I feel like mash and risotto are on par for Fanatical ways that people do that. I make a pretty good risotto. I don't think I make an excellent risotto. I think I make I can make a good risotto regularly, mm. um, and I don't know what it is. Whether it's the uh, like how much I'm cooking my rice at the start, or how much stock I'm putting into rice. But yeah, not quite. It's not quite awesome, but it's good. Yeah. Good enough that I make it once a week and yeah, yeah. everyone likes it. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm, I love risotto. I can't understand people that don't make risotto that think it's too hard. I just don't think they've ever been shown how to do it properly. Because you don't really have to sit over it and stir it constantly, do you? Do you think that makes a big difference? Uh, yeah, I do. The way that I do it, I do. I stir it constantly. And I've got the... I believe that when you're stirring it like that and you constantly move it, what it does, it helps to release more starch. Yeah. And then the starch will help bind the sauce to the rice. Yeah. And I like my risotto to be quite wet. So okay. I'll have it so when you spoon it onto a plane and you tap it on the bench. The it liquid sort flat. of run out. Oh, okay. There's the whole thing all flat now. Yeah. So the trick is, when you, well, I think when you got it right and you've added your cheese and you mounted your butter into it and the end and everything, you should have it just right so that the sauce clings to the rice but it's still quite liquid. So the rice doesn't actually separate itself from the sauce. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That but makes it's sense. still quite wet, so it can sit flat. So you should always eat... Not, not a mound. Yeah, mine's, a mine's probably not that 
not that wet, <laughs> to be honest. But again, last time they risotto for the guys for a staff meal in the bistro, everyone fell asleep halfway through service because it was so rich. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that was the other thing. So, if you cook just to eat at home, I've always read stories about the best meals to have at a restaurant are the service meals. Yeah, because if and all the staff cook the staff meals, and if you cook a shit staff meal, you're going to be judged by your peers. Yeah, right. So it's actually more stressful cooking a staff meal because at the end of the day in a restaurant, any food that goes into the restaurant, I'm going to say yes or no to it before it even hits the floor. Okay, so the staff meals are like almost um, uh, auditions, are they? For, yeah, totally. for, for the menu. Even for me, like if I'm cooking a staff meal, I'm being judged by people. So yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, the severely judged. So. So who sources do you, can you only cook from what's in the restaurant or can you come to you and say, hey, I've got an idea for a staff meal, can you get this in for me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what happens basically. Yeah, so okay. I've got a guy, my pastry chef currently, he's like a Japanophone. So he's, he's actually leaving at the end of the week this week, but he's one of these, he's just obsessed with Japan. He spent a lot of time over there. He worked over there for an extended amount of time and he just lives, breathes, eats, sleeps Japan. Wow. So he he often cooks for us Japan uh, Japanese food. And so he made one lots yesterday. of dumplings. Yeah, we did like barbecue chicken yesterday, and he actually goes and buys all the stuff from Japanese markets wherever it is that, it is that he buys it, and then brings it all in. And he'll make a dish from it. And he did like a, it was like marinated chicken. He blackened over coals on skewers, like quite blackened, like the sugar's really caramelised. He made like a cold soba noodle salad with shredded um, cabbage and stuff, and and the soba noodles were obviously. Honestly, some of the best I've had in ages. Like, he's just so good at that food. He doesn't mean okonomiyaki. His okonomiyaki is really good. So, are you tempted to put something like that in? Like, how flexible can you be with your styles? Pretty inflexible. Yeah. Like, look, he could do something like that, but it would need to... Look, I mean, the food in Gerard's is very much me. Yeah. So, it has to kind of fit that mould. And more often than not, like, the guys, when they have input into the menu in there or the dishes, it's usually more a style... Um, like even Richie, my head chef, who was going to join us on the podcast, by the way, and he got nervous. And <laughs> but he, um, it, he's been my head chef now for a year and a half, I reckon, maybe more. And it's only just now that he's starting to put dishes up and bring things together and everything. Cause it's a bit... Is that because you've got to get a feel for the style of what, so, yeah. what needs to and come the, through? Look, the Middle Eastern connection as well. I mean, as you know, you've eaten the food now. Yeah. I, I don't think what we do is Middle Eastern food anymore. I think it's, it's modern Australian food that has elements of the yeah. Middle East in there. I, I was going to say you can see that it's been informed by that, but I wouldn't expect to go to anywhere in the Middle East and eat that food in a restaurant or a home sort of thing. We just take ideas, elements and ingredients. But isn't that the joy of being a chef in Australia? That you can sure. you yeah. pretty much do whatever you fucking want. Look, the other way to look at it, I mean, look at it in the, in the terms that Gerard's is kind of my house. And if you're coming in to eat, you're going to get the best dining experience that I can possibly provide you. Yeah. And so that's kind of what the food is. It's the best reflection of what I would want to eat and what I would want you to eat. But if you want yum cha, then you're probably not in the best place. No, I just wouldn't know what to do anyway. Yeah. You know, like, and we've done that. We did dumplings at the bar. We mucked around with it. Well, like, now I always say this from Gazoya. Gyoza. Gyoza. I never get that fucking right. We had this right. conversation once before. I love them. <laughs> I absolutely love them. But I don't make them enough to be quick at the making the dumplings. Like, right. To, to make them, I've got to be really careful and I'm quite slow. So making them is almost like a treat. Yeah. You know, because it's not like making mashed potato, which I could probably be doing sleeping standing up. 
Yeah. Um, and I sort of, it's sort of a flip thing. I'd love to sort of do them twice a week so that I got good enough that I could have 10 people come around and just bash out a, a thing of dumplings. But, yeah. You know. And it's pretty fiddly, I guess. It is, but you watch them, like you watch YouTube videos of them and they like they make 103 minutes or something. Yeah, They're just insanely quick. I know, it's crazy. And there's, when I was in Lebanon, I was talking to, uh, I was in an uh, Armenian restaurant and we started talking about manti. Manti, that was kind of like their dumpling yeah. that they do over there. And they usually serve it with warm yogurt um, and like a, a paprika, burnt butter over the top and all these things. But the manti, the thing with manti is the best manti and it's kind of like an exo sauce in China the best manti are judged by the size of them and the, the chef is judged by how small he can get his manti oh right her manti so not, not big no, they're so small the smaller the better because it's really difficult to make them and it's kind of like it's kind of shaped like a wing nut okay. and then stuffed with lamb mince usually and then oh yeah so obviously mm-hmm. that it's, it's quite hard to, to you know there's a limit there's a really physical hard. limit to make it smaller and smaller, and smaller. I would I think maybe five years ago is when we first opened Gerard's and I had a lot more fire in me, I guess, to, to push the envelope. I probably would have given it a shot. But nowadays... Like, you just look at it and go, I couldn't be asked. We just do a numbers game with it. And so like, if I'm going to sell 50 of these a night and there's going to be 50 to 60 of these Manti per bowl, mm. like that's just... That equals going down. I get that, that question all the time, living where we live and um, sort of doing the thing with the cow, making cheese, and, and they're like, oh, you're trying to be fully sustainable. I'm like, no, it's fucking ridiculous. You do the best bang for your buck. So, you know, I like eating really good food. So if I can make my own feta and my own halloumi, that is going to taste better than anything I can get in the shop simply because it's that fresh, yeah. then that's what I'm going to do. Because it, in my cooking, that sort of gives me an un- unnatural advantage. Someone might be able to go and buy halloumi from the shop and do some amazing things with it, but it's not going to taste the same as mine because mine's a day old. Yeah. And it, you just can't buy day old halloumi. If you no. want day old halloumi, you've got to make it. Yeah. Um, not so much now, but, but back when I first started doing it, even that wasn't really a thing because all the milk you were buying was fucking heavily run through a manufacturing process. So yeah. even if you're making day old halloumi from milk you bought from the store, it's still not going to be that flash. Yeah, it's going to be shit. Um, you know, now you can buy a lot better milk but yeah I can sort of see why you sometimes you've got to think whether you're doing something just for the technical challenge or whether you're actually getting a, a good outcome from it I reckon mm. so, so so you make halloumi? yeah yep and feta and so I'm, my cow's coming back this week and it's got a calf so as soon as it's back back into milking and making cheese Sorry, where's it been? Did you go on holidays? Okay. Well, I lost, I lost three cows, and then I bought a couple of other ones. But it's been off at my mate's place getting pregnant. How'd you lose them? Uh, put them in a paddock with not good fencing when the twins came home from hospital and didn't really pay much attention, and they went wandering, looking for a bull. Got into someone's place and he rang the council. The council took them. Shit. Now they're tagged and they're supposed to ring me. I don't know. Didn't I know that's where they went? My my farmer mate tracked them down. So wankers. And then once the council have sold them, the rules are they won't even they won't even tell you where they've sold because I guess they people are, with emotional them. attachments to animals will go and bail up at someone's house. Give me back my dog. So yeah. No way. I love those cows too. 
Spewing. I keep every time I go for a drive, I keep an eye out for them, but I've never seen them. But yeah, so I've got, uh, but same sort of thing. Like I would love to make hard cheese, but I'm going to make sure that I get really good at halloumi, mozzarella, feta, and like a brie camembert style cheese. I want to be able to just be cranking them out. So how do you how do you learn about all that? It's from a book. Read a book. Yeah, that's how I did. Like cheese making is just following a recipe correctly, and then. The hard bit is in the temperature control and the humidity control once you've made the cheese. And it's all about how much moisture you take out of the, out of the curd too. Right. But uh, things like feta and, feta and halloumi are pretty forgiving that way. Halloumi is pretty easy to make. It's just a little salt, right? So it's the amount of brine, how it's going to show. Yeah, that makes a big difference. But the fresh stuff, like you could put it in a really salty brine, it's just not going to take up that much brine. But so if you imagine, you know, the, the taste of halloumi mm. and then Im- imagine the texture of a really, really good marshmallow. Yeah. That's what fresh halloumi is like. Cool. So it doesn't have any of that squeakiness at all. What are you making, Sam? Soft and spongy. Oh, as soon when as your prego cow comes back. Yeah, I'll bring you some in. Are you going to eat the calf? No, the, my, my, my farmer family. mate who helps me out, he gets the calves. That's the deal. Yeah, right. Okay. So, like, he does heaps of stuff for me, so... Yeah. It's gonna say it's reveal. You can't see much of that around him, do you? No. He he does a bit of it. He likes old cow though. He only eats cow that's like eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah, right. Doesn't eat no yielding at all. Flavour thing? Yep. And he hangs it. He's got his own cold room, so he does his home kill and it goes in the cold room for six weeks and no one opens the door. So it just sits there. Weeks. Mm-hmm. Dry age. Yeah, just hangs there. Just the, the two halves. Nice one. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I've had a rib fillet off one of his cows, one of his big old cows. It was like fucking, it was like size of a plate. It was a massive rib fillet, the biggest thing I'd ever seen with this big eye of fat. And I said, oh man, this is going to be tough as all shit. It was amazing. Tender? Yeah. That would be the dry aging process, sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But you lose something like 10% in weight, which is why. Well, it's not much really, though, is it? Yeah, to guys killing. A million cattle a year it probably is, I guess. Adds up over time. Yeah, I was saying, yeah. That's a dollar value. Yeah, well, and like if you're aging cryovac, you're getting. It's not as good. There's absolutely no doubt. It's not as good, but it's not bad. Like some butchers get stuff that's killed the day before yesterday, sort of thing, into their shops. I've seen him get it and it's just fucking it's going to be tough as all shit because it's just got no age on it at all yeah it's true that eh but mm. so dry aging versus wet aging there's a real debate there isn't there yeah the, the theory is that if you're wet aged the, the blood sort of curdles and is like a vinegar yeah so what I heard now this is completely unscientific so mm. maybe you can shed some light on this for me but yeah I heard so when you're dry aging it's a completely different chemical sort of yeah, process so wet aging it's lactic bacteria yeah that breaks down the muscle yep. internally which in turn creates lactic acid so the longer that it's in there that's why older meat when it's been in the bag too long it has a lactic yeah it has that real smell like a liver lactic tang yep. which is a product of the lactic acid whereas when you dry age it and you hang it it's not the lactic bacteria it's an enzyme it's in the meat or something like that 
Yeah, that makes sense because there was... Uh, you used to be able to, and I don't think they do it anymore, but you used to be able to get pumped beef and they'd pump it full of an enzyme. Right. And it would tenderise it amazingly, but it would also... Like, I, I remember seeing rib fillets that were basically liquefied in the bag. Yuck. Because the enzyme had just basically... Well, it was like, you know, the best steak, they reckon, is you eat it two days before it turns and it starts to rot. Dry age. Right. You know, you basically let it break down until it's rotting. And once it's rotting, it's no good. But if you can get it the two days before, then it's just amazing because the meat has gone completely tender. You trim all the shit off the outside. Yeah. But then I guess the enzyme just overtakes it too much and it starts to rot away. See, now this is the other part of the argument, I guess, is that with the beef prices going up through the roof as they have mm. and the availability not being around because the export market takes the majority of it, yeah. like you just see less and less dryage meat around. You see less and less premium high-end meat around. You just just less it. and less meat. So everyone's just serving the same thing most of the time, which is usually like Rangers Valley... You know, with their Wagyu, Angus, yeah. Black Onyx, like all, that, all those labels they do, everyone's pretty much got the same cuts and the same bits. So is that why I got lamb tartare, not beef? You look. No, it was always lamb. So, I mean, Kibbenaya, traditionally, which it wasn't Kibbenaya, by the way, we have no, because we don't have any burgle and it's not like a sausage mince. Yeah. But it's usually, uh, it's usually lamb or goat. So in the Middle East, they don't really have any beef over yeah. there. Any it's beef that is there is all export. Yeah. So it's the not local... Really conducive, is it, to beef? No. You don't see, you don't drive around seeing any cows. No, that's well, if they are, they'd be dead. <laughs> so it's pretty much just lamb and goat, and so that's just the way they've always done it. And so I actually think the lamb, raw lamb actually has a great flavour. That was amazing. That's probably that would be close to the best thing I've ever eaten. I think. I know, right? And so there's all these things that over the years we've been told that raw lamb's bad. Raw pork's bad, so you can eat pork raw these days because it's so clean. Yeah, the way we're getting it in Australia with the standards. So why aren't we eating raw pork? Maybe that's the next step. Maybe we we'll get raw pork on the menu. We're about to put raw kangaroo on. I don't okay, think, I think I, that's I, less controversial. Totally understand raw kangaroo. When we when we had those dry aging bags, I always wanted to, but I don't know. I don't know whether there's enough on a kangaroo carcass to dry age it. Mm. But I always thought that'd go really well dry aged. Yeah. Because it's quite a real dense, uh, strong flavoured meat. So if you could let that soften with age. Well, the thing is, the way they're handling it now as well is much better. So when you get it, it's not. You, like the one that we're, get, we're getting it out of Paru in South Australia, which is like a wild shot kangaroo they bring it in. But the way they handle the meat and the way they process it and everything, it's really cleanly flavoured. It's really clean and really well handled. And the trim specs are incredible. Yeah. Whereas in the past, it was Everyone's been spoiled by pissy wallaby, you know, like everything <laughs> tastes in the Bush Bush League stuff. <laughs> yeah, we should, look, look, and I was cooking in the nineties, and that sort of stuff was big, and everyone was like, this whole Australian movement was big in the nineties, and everyone just forgot about it. Um, in I'm trying to think, what year I got married? Ninety-seven, I think. Yeah. Ninety-eight. Um, Your age is showing, so. Oh yeah. A while ago, we went to uh, we went on our honeymoon to uh, the Hunter, and went to some I can't remember what the restaurant was. Went to a restaurant for lunch and got kangaroo fillet, and like because I'm always keen to try something. It's fucking woeful. I'm still dirty. I had like, like, like pepper sauce and a shitload of pork. No, it was it was quite rare, but it was just fucking tough. Yeah, like I could have 
taken a chainsaw to it and I just don't think I would have cut through it okay. and I paid like 48 bucks for it and we were so dirt poor I was so dirty I still remember how filthy I was so all that stuff like everyone's forgotten that all this like at the moment everyone's like oh native Australian like why wasn't anyone doing anything with native Australian but everybody was using it oh mate at Tucker would be pretty pissed then. at that wouldn't he oh, whatever I'm like fuck, <laughs> fuck you you want to be pissed that's fine but I'm yeah. just telling you like it was around like when I was in Perth oh, we did it. I remember making lemon myrtle creme brulee and stuff like that like, yeah right all this sort of thing you know mountain pepper was around like all all these ingredients that everyone's going bananas for it's like oh we should have been using this years ago like they were using it years ago it just was shit yeah <laughs> so everyone forgot about or, it or that you would get variable quality of batches I would imagine yeah and I thought well I guess look in defence of it I think now people are better educated with food that they know how to work with the ingredients better and to bring out the flavours better and to use them in a better way than mm-hmm. they did back then everything was always you know big stacks of things layered in the middle of a plate that's all around the outside and, you know creme brulees and mill foils and all that sort of shit I've done a, um, like a, imagine like a soft goat's cheese, so sort of like a feta, I guess, but like in a little barrel, and yeah. ashed it on lemon myrtle, charcoal, yeah. ground it all up, had yeah. no lemon flavour in it, but <laughs> I gave it a try, it was quite nice. Sounds alright. Yeah, it was just something to try, I like trying different <laughs> things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd love to make washed rind and blue cheese, but... Fuck off! I mean, some spe- spectacular failures trying to do those things. Yeah, I know, right? You really got to be—you got to be quite scientific, and I'm not that sort of. No, well, neither am I, and that's why I'm really nervous about cheese making. This is why I'm intrigued by you doing it. I want to kind of pick your brain a bit because I just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't like I give it a go, and I just I don't quite get there, and I'm not massively happy with the success. And so uh, most so, things are persevere, but with this, I'm, I, just, I just can't. Um, with the brie, like the where you can be, whatever you want to call yeah. it, like the soft rinded yeah. cheese, I've made ones that I couldn't even put on pizza. But then I, the second or third batch I made, I made four of them, fucking unbelievable. Took them to the guy at Bangalow Cheese, just hooked up through Twitter, and said, "Oh, can I bring you my cheese for a bit of, you know, feedback? Bit of feedback." Brought him like half a wheel, and he had a taste. I went, oh, that, yeah, that's that's really good. Wrapped it up, put it in his esky, and gave me some of his cheese in return. Right. So I was like, well, if he's doing that, it must have gone all right. But I've never made one as good since. Yeah, see, so where's it? How do you know? Like, how do you control it? How do you? Uh, I think temperature and humidity is the the big thing. So you need to just regulate everything. Yeah. So you just got to. So would you do it to the point where you keep like a log and every time you oh, make a cheese? Oh, absolutely. That's you what you should do. All your stuff. But that that fucking drives me nuts. I like just having a go, and I'm prepared to wear a small amount of failure for not having to be that anal. Fair enough. What I really want is a farmhouse cheese, so a, a, a like a semi-hard, like a tasty but better. You know, something that I can just make in big blocks, and every six months, that's just my grating eating cheese that I've got on tap and then if they go too hard you that's your palms and if they go a bit soft then you know you put it on pizzas that's that's really the sort of cheese I'd like to be able to cranking out yeah how do you go with other cheeses in risotto are you palms and only no pecorino if it works and what about like blue cheese or something yeah. a bit oh uh, yeah. yeah I wouldn't be against it hmm. off the top of my head I can't remember if I've done it but it's usually usually the hard cheeses, and you want to have something that's quite sharp and yeah. balanced over fats. 
Yeah. <laughs> all that all salt stuff and stuff I can't eat anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to change my ways. Who knows? Do you eat a lot of bacon? I love the meat. I'm a just meat. meat yeah. I'm a meat, cheese, nut, like charcuterie. I just eat charcuterie all day. Every day. Yeah, if I had you, if I had that across the road, I reckon I'd be 15 kilos heavier. Oh, the worst thing is in the bistro is the chicken wing sauce, the becker wing sauce. Oh yeah, that was because it just sits in the bottom of the bowl. <laughs> the, the chicken wings get tossed in, and there's always like bread off cuts lying around. Yeah, so you dip it in and just dip it in, you eat it, and it's literally like. 10% salt and 60% fat like it's <laughs> the worst thing you could possibly be eating and I reckon I've been eating that every day like binge eating it for four years so it's probably like a big contributor to one yeah right plan, yeah. so obviously that's one that's sort of never really gone off the menu you just that keep that on yeah oh that's good to know that I could if I ever feel like I can rock up and just save a little space of my stomach for that because that was pretty damn good I reckon we get lynched if I took it off so that and the cauliflower and there's there's a few staples that will just never ever come off as um, much as we'd want them to like that cauliflower I'll tell you one thing like I feel sorry for the guys on that section they've got to cook that cauliflower for every table every, every night. night tasting that sauce over and over and over and over again so it's not pre-made we make it to order in a pan ah okay cauliflower so you've got to taste it every time you make it. It is just an absolute palate rape. Do you do hollandaise for breakfasts? No. No? I hollandaise. How many restaurants would make hollandaise or mayonnaise from scratch, do you reckon? I'd like to think all of them. <laughs> mayonnaise, not so much. Or may, look, but make up their own mayonnaise. They're not buying pre-made mayonnaise. Can you buy pre-made mayonnaise? Yeah, hell yeah. Of course you can. Like... like Aioli, like good mayonnaise. Yeah. yeah okay. I reckon a lot of people would. I reckon a lot of people would. I reckon like, like, there's been times that we bought in Kubi mayonnaise using like massive functions. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I really don't see a problem in that. I reckon Kubi mayonnaise, Kubi mayonnaise is awesome. I can't make mayonnaise taste as good as Kubi mayonnaise. Oh, right. Okay. So, Ma- do you feel the same way? I just make my, I just always make my own because I've so always got eggs. I love it. I've, ne- I've never bought a bottle. I've never bought a bottle of mayonnaise in my life. Julie, how do you feel about this? Keep your mayo? I love it. Of course you do. You're Asian. You love it. Of course you would. No, but it's, it's true, right? Like, the flavour is, is, yeah. Yeah. Clean. Yeah. But the it's mayonnaise is MSG. another one. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Is another one that I spent years making it fucking wrong. I don't know where I read it originally, but I used olive oil. No, yeah. And John. So, yeah, it was just way too strong. The flavour yeah. was just overpowering. Now, in a little bit of water and vegetable oil, it's way better. Yeah, look, I don't want, I'm probably giving the impression that I buy Kewpie Mayo all the time for everything. And I don't. Like, we actually do make mayonnaise, but yeah. I just like Kewpie Mayo. Like, I buy it for home. But and you don't have it with everything. Sometimes you need, like, a mustardy mayonnaise to go with something that you're cooking. Yeah, I just... I love chips. Chips, chips and mayo are just... I just love it. Very Belgian of you. Yeah, I just, I just can't, and I can't go past. It's a real fucking problem of mine. I can't go past somewhere that's advertising, you know, the best shit. It's, I cannot fucking do it. And most of them are just selling pre-cut fucking chips. Well, I have to admit, like last week, um, I met up with some of my wife. My wife and I met up with some of her family, and we went. We're actually out all day with them, and they decided that they were going to go and eat at this. in the American barbecue place over on, uh, yeah, not on Lutwich. What road is it? Uh, 
Oh no, on the north side. No. Yeah, pit boss. Oh, okay. They're fucking everywhere now. You could have said any suburb and there would Is have it? been an American. Oh, yeah, the American Johnson. We went to this pit boss place and look, their, their buffalo wings were actually pretty good. Their slow cooked, the pulled pork and the other stuff we had, we had ribs as well. Like, you couldn't actually taste the smoke in it and it was so sweet. I was going to say, it probably had liquid smoke in it. Bro, so sweet. Lavatizer is like 12 hours smoked, hot smoked, but you just couldn't, you couldn't taste the smoke in them at all. Yeah, that's almost impossible, but anyway. But my kids had like these chips with cheese sauce oh, yeah. with them. Yeah. Bro, that, I'm telling you, I almost melted <laughs> eating this cheese sauce. It was so good. Cheese sauce on chips. <laughs> so good. So good. And it was like in between mayo and this cheese. Like, I don't know. And I eat mayo with everything. <laughs> I literally lost my shit over this cheese sauce and the chips. Like, I virtually yeah, ate nothing else. Now I'm gonna I smashed all my kids' food. Fucking go to Lutwich and eat their cheese. Yeah, well, the che- there was nothing remarkable about the chips. It's just this cheese <laughs> sauce. I did um, had some a mate come around the other day, and I did. I had some blood oranges from my blood orange mate, and I did smoke the beef ribs for a couple of hours. Mm. So sort of hot smoked them with not, not much on them, just a bit of rub on the outside, so dry smoked. And then I made a sauce out of blood oranges, mulberries. And um, Brazilian cherries, reduced it down and then passed it through a sieve. And then added sugar, apple cider vinegar, and tomato sugo, and cool. made that into a thick sauce. And then just basted them for like three or four hours. Delicious. It was fucking awesome. I do. I like stuff like. Yeah, but you need to have balance still, don't you think? And it needs to have the fruit in it. it. Can't just be like. Yeah, you need acid, and you can't be all sweet. Yeah. Like a lot of them just too much on the sugar it was so nice like I could not eat any more than three bites of it and it was that that sweet yeah it all went back to the kitchen oh really yeah wow so you, you got no problems doing that oh no I just let it sat there oh you just yeah. yeah yeah because I've I've had a few times where I really would like to just go mate can you take that back but I just fear the wrath of what would return from the kitchen oh yeah well, I mean, I'd imagine everything's pre-done anyway, so they probably wouldn't have made a change. Yeah, but like even in a like that kangaroo, I would have loved to have said, "Mate, this is tough as fucking dog's oh, balls." I probably would have. Like if it was that disappointing, I would have. Yeah. Yeah. Never. I've never seen a good result from doing that. Well, the funny thing is, like, and look, occasionally we do fuck it up, and there've yeah. been times in the bistro. I haven't been many, thankfully, but there've been times when people have sent dishes back and said this is too rich or this is too salty or something's not right about it. Um, most of the time, the customers, I believe they're not right. Like, they probably believe they're right, but I, I think there's nothing wrong with the dish. And I always taste them when they come back. Are they, are they one, professional sort of uh, <laughs> people they think they know more than a restaurant? This is how the food should be? Well, this is what I'm trying to get at. Well, what is down to customer, it is down to personal choice and opinion. I guess, look, what I'm really trying to get at is that whether I think they're wrong or not, my answer is always the same. I never make a fuss about it. Yeah. I always just say, that's fine. Um, go back and apologise and say, we're really sorry that you didn't enjoy this. Is there what? anything we can do to help? Like, would you, do you want something else? Would you like us yeah. to replace it with something else? Because one thirty or $40 meal versus the, the karmic backlash is not worth it. Not, not even just that. Like, or, or I'll offer to, to redo it. Yeah. In a way that they would prefer it to be done. It's more, honestly, it's more. I know this sounds like a cop out, but I actually believe this, like deeply, and this, this is the truth. I would hate for a table to walk out 
feeling like they didn't get what they paid for. Yeah. Like, I just, that doesn't sit right with me at well, all. And there'd be a bit of a professional pride too if you could flip it. If they sent it back and their night's ruined. And That's you the can, real knack, isn't it? Yeah. But isn't Horror. that the resp- our responsibility of people? And a lot of people that do come out and eat genuinely would probably save up for months. Yeah. Like well, yourself, sir. Yeah. So, look, and I'm the same. I, I eat out rarely. I can't afford to eat out often. I stack my tips to, for food money to go out and do something or experience like for special things. But it's, and that's just modern society with children, I guess. But yes, the, definitely. Um, I, I just would hate people to not feel like we delivered on the price. And so I, I do everything I can to do it. But there are times when you get people that just have made up their mind absolutely that they are not going to have a good time yeah. and fuck you. And like when you get people like that, my stance is, well, and you always look at it carefully and I'll speak to the manager. It is, it is, my stance with that is we go back to the table and we say, look, we're really sorry that we didn't meet your expectations and your meal obviously is on us. For that reason, we wouldn't expect you to pay for something you're not satisfied with. But we do suggest that perhaps you go and find another place that is more to your taste. Yeah. We, we can't make you happy here, so we're really sorry. And we just let them go that way. Yeah. Yeah, because... There's no point keeping them on. If they made up their mind, yeah, there's yeah. no point... Because then the bad the vibes will spread out to the other tables because totally. you've got people going back and forth. You just and, knock it on the head. And every yeah. time of experience that we've done that with the, with the table, with the customer, they've always left happy and saying, thank you so much, we didn't expect you to do that. Oh, Okay. Well, that's good. Unless they're drunk. Yeah, in which the case. The drunk ones, you just kick them out. Yeah. <laughs> just get out. Yeah, you just... That would be... It would be really fucking hard running a restaurant in today's social media world, I would imagine. Yeah, you know, the other thing is, is actually, contrary to popular belief, it's really hard to make a buck in restaurants. And I'm, gonna, I'm not going to harp on about it because no one loves that guy that harps on. Yeah. Not make, but it really is difficult to make money in restaurants. Genuinely and honestly, I would imagine so. But so you got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. But I believe it's a better investment to wear the cost of some food when people are not happy, and to have a return and people speaking well at the restaurant. So what is that? Is there too much food? Too many restaurants? Too uh, like because, like you said, oh, we don't. I eat. don't. I don't know about that. Honestly, because if. If there's too many restaurants, they're all going to go broke yeah. anyway. Or some will. The worst ones will. Exactly. So as long as you're doing what you're doing well and yeah. you're listening to the customer and you're adapting your business to the customer, then I don't see... like There's always a place yeah. for that. And there's always going to be some customers. So is it that you can't charge... Like there's no appetite for charging more? Siri's just charming in the conversation uh, no, are you talking about hard to make a buck? Yeah. It's more um, the costs of operating the business versus what the consumer is willing to pay. Yeah. For meals. And there's an ex. Well, look, the meat industry is copping that at the moment because people have a certain expectation of what they should be paying for meat. And it's not realistic anymore. No. It's just not. So the ones that have moved on and just, um, just basically gone. We're going to reflect the reality of what meat prices cost, but we're going to make it up in customer service. We're going to do interesting things. They're the ones that are sort of kicking on, but the guys that are just holding on, going, "No, people aren't. People can't. Won't pay X for a steak." They're just basically getting eaten away. Yeah. You know, it, it's really tough to watch. Yeah. So, I don't know. 
Surely have. But see, the, what I find hard with eating, so we've got sort of two things. The fact that we've got three kids and it's hard to leave leave the house sort of carefree and go out and spend the money. But we went to um, a tavern at Ormo one afternoon because it had a playground and that had cold beer and got some pork ribs. And I didn't pay that much less for those fucking pork ribs than I did that th- th- your mains were priced yeah. at. And that kills me. That absolutely... I was sitting there eating them because I'd met you at that stage going, fuck, I could be spending this 35 bucks on an entree at your place and just fucking being, having my head blown off. It just really got to me. So yeah. that's the other thing I find hard is that the value for money um, is not across the range. Do you know what I mean? No. I guess each, each business has to fill out what their expectations are and what they get away with, I guess, It'd be interesting to know whether that tavern makes a lot higher profit margin on their food than you do. Well, you think as a tavern as well, they'd make their money from the booze and the food would have a reduced margin. It's a big fucking dining area. Yeah. You know, like, and it's, and like your mate that's out at the Gap who just fucking kills it because he's the only decent food for 50 kilometres. Yeah. Like, if a decent restaurant ever opened in that, you know, and was like a, a family style restaurant that wasn't like fine dining but yeah. it was a family restaurant that families could do I reckon they would just fucking kill it because there would be no literally nowhere else to go unless you want to play the pokies so there you go maybe we'll do Gerard's Ashgrove <laughs> Gerard's you know <laughs> Gerard, Gerard's the game Gerard's an ogre alright mate have you got to go and start cooking oh there's always something to do basically. you've got like 50,000 <laughs> 50,000 text messages since oh, we sat down oh my phone's going bananas I'm actually yeah is this the Melbourne look this thing? is all part of no yeah there's a lot of it's just October this month is hell I've got a lot of things going on this month there's heaps of outside events and then November we've got Melbourne Cup and then there's a lot of things coming up and even in the new year I'm starting to get people approach me about things in the new year and well that was the, the other question I had for you how so when I took over running the pubs, yeah. the guy that had been manager for us was basically not there. Yeah. He would never answer his phone. He wouldn't do anything. Nothing was ever done. There was never enough beer ordered. There was never enough change. Everything was just never done. So all the senior staff basically ran the place. Yeah. You know, If the money wasn't there for a band, we took it out. To, we worked stuff out. And then when I took over, I was like, right, well, I'm not going to fucking be like that, obviously. I'm going to organise it. I'm going to make sure everything is. But the next wave of senior staff that came up under me had nowhere near the skills to troubleshoot. Yeah. They just rang me because yeah. I answered the phone. Yeah. So if you're out doing all these outside events, how do you go between balancing being hands-on and making sure that everything runs smoothly when you're not there because obviously you can't be there every night again it's just a balance and look I've been adjusting it lately like it's only really come to a head lately that stuff is getting difficult to manage but it's um, you have to see the you have to see the value of opportunity I guess and you have to be available for new opportunities for growth and, and so that's kind of where I'm at now but I'm, I'm in the kitchen less now than I was before I'm in there for services most nights but during the day I'm more on the phone and the computer and yeah. organising and running around and getting pricing and all that sort of stuff yep is that and good change, or bad? no it's good and yeah. look it all comes down to again why I'm, why I'm trying to change my lifestyle because 
I'm finding that my life, my routine's pretty shit. Yeah. It has been pretty shit. And the way I eat's pretty shit. And I find that that affects my work. So now I'm cutting all that back and I'm trying to change my lifestyle and my routine so that my brain can keep up with the pace and my body. I'm getting old, so I've got to... Yeah, because you wouldn't want the... Because what you're producing is your reputation. You've got to stay sharp. Yeah. Like that's that's going back to that New York review. I'll send you that thing. But he's famous for going into, I think it was Guy Fieri, had like this American style restaurant in New York that was like a big sort of barn place, mm. and he just ripped him. He said, "Have you ever eaten here? Have you ever eaten any of the food that has your? It's got your name on it. The fucking your name above the door. Have you ever eaten any of this food, or have you just basically franchised out your name, and um, and taken the money and run?" That's, that's the thing, isn't it? Well, was it... Um, I remember listening to a conversation now with the guy... Who's the guy that wrote, does the Aria? Uh, Matt Moran. Matt Moran. And I think his first restaurant was called Moran's. And he said, I'll never do that again because um, y- you can't sell it because you walk away and if Moran isn't cooking at Moran's, then where's the value? Well, the funny thing is that closer to home here is I was doing a cooking demo last, you know, earlier in the year with Brent Farrell from, um, used to be Brent's a 2 one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually eaten there. 85 Miskin Street. Yeah. That's, that's, that was a really nice feed, actually. Well, I asked him why he changed, and I assumed at the time it's because everything was getting away from fine dining and going to a more casual approach. I yes. assumed that that was why he was doing it. Downshift. But when I went, he actually said that he's looking... To, I probably shouldn't say this but to keep his options open yeah. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say he's looking to sell the business but to keep his options open if he did want to sell the business he was rebranding it to disassociate his name from the business yeah like it is a that's a thing yeah yeah that, and that makes complete sense because and like I would even like celebrity chefs I think a lot of the general public would you know a restaurant that's would expect to walk in on a Friday or Saturday night and see that guy in the kitchen you're just never going to see him are you or no, but well, I think you've got to especially if they've got if they've got a restaurant in Perth, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, like they can't be in four places at once. No, but I think. But it also hits a point in your career that you can't just cook. Be that guy in the restaurant all the time. You do have to kind of become more of a businessman. And yeah. I guess now where I'm getting to now in my stage of my career, I'm starting to look at more of the business side of things than the other side. I've got I've got really good key guys, and like you said, with managers, you need to let your key guys grow, and that's why I was actually kind of hoping to get Richie here, and he would have had some great input on this as well. Yeah. He probably would have said that I throw him under the bus all the time, but it's <laughs> oh, but like, and I used to get so frustrated. They'd ring me up and go, "Oh, the till's not working," and I'm like, "Have you tr- what have you tried?" And like, we haven't tried anything. We rang you. It's like, well, fucking, you try everything before you ring me. You know, I, I get really angry about that. I started at fucking seven this morning. I've just gone home. It's eleven thirty, twelve at night. It's fucking one in the morning, yeah. and you guys are closing. Like, try a few things, or fucking put it, put the whole till in the safe, and I'll work it out in the morning. But just don't fucking ring me every time there's a little problem. That's re- I found it really hard to train people to have that resilience. It's almost like I had to turn my phone off and just let them work it out rather than. And then you get a, a reputation as sort of being lazy because it's like, oh, I can't get Bezo on the phone. It was quite, I, I literally don't answer my phone on Mondays anymore. Yeah. I just don't. I don't well, then you get, then people know. Just Mondays. 
that every other day I'll answer any point of the day. Just don't call on Mondays. You, you do that. I rang you on a Monday. The other week. You do that for a while. I didn't answer it. So, I might have answered no, you. Did. You did because <laughs> I, I figured it out. I was like, oh shit, that's your fucking Saturday. Um, but yeah, the, like you, the people around you, your suppliers, everything will fucking work that out pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, but you got to have some space, otherwise you just burn yourself out. And literally, like especially on a Monday, with because I got the two kids, I yeah. drop them off at school. My wife works on a Monday. That is my day. Like I don't. I just want to switch my head off for a day and not think at all. Yeah. Like I, just, I want to lay on the couch in my undies and watch action movies. I was gonna say go and watch, <laughs> go and watch the MasterChef. Yeah, you know what I mean? Just not think. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I got there was one night we were supposed to go to Bangalore and we were staying in a house with like eight people and everyone had kids and I got gastro like just a little bit but enough to go I, I can't I can't go and stay in that house like if it fucking if I give it to everybody it'll just ruin everyone's weekend yeah. so we were leaving um Friday morning or Friday lunchtime and um I just stayed home and I felt like shit so all I did was just lie down and I watched like four movies in the afternoon. Oh, so you had gastro before you got to this house? Yeah, like on the Friday afternoon when we were supposed to be leaving, it's uh, I was just about to walk out the door and I was like, oh, I need to go to the toilet. And I said to Vanessa, I can't go. So she took the kids and went and I just laid on the couch. And it was such a, I was like, when's the last time I just laid on the couch? What a cathartic experience. And did nothing because normally if I've got some time because I've got the farm, if the kids aren't there, it's like, fuck, I've got to do these 19,000 things. Whereas this, I just, I was just too sick to just. So what did you do? You watched the entire uh, season of Friends or something? Uh, nah, fucking not Friends. But <laughs> I watched something on Netflix. I like, like you said, like a really dumb action movie where I could just lie there and miss nineteen plot points and it wouldn't matter because you just knew there was going to be explosions at the end. Such a good thing. So mm. switch off, enjoy, pure yeah. thing. All right, thanks for your time, Ben. Thanks, Bisa. Anytime. Uh, yeah, I think you'll. Uh, You'd be getting up there as the you, between you and Stacey is the the most number of guest appearances on the on the cheesy yeah, yeah. podcast. I'll have to get a couple more in. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Before I dive half out there. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to because you're having a healthy lifestyle now. Yeah, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> yeah.